Good morning and welcome to Convocation. If you are seeking Convocation points and you haven't already, please scan in at the back and then scan out after the presentations. We also ask that you leave your phones and computers stowed away. There is research that shows that even if you don't have your phone on, if you have it next to you and it's in the, your visible range, that it makes it harder for you to concentrate. So we really encourage you to stow those away. My name is Marcy Frederick. I'm EMU's Director of Libraries. And I am joined today, in order of appearance, by Shin Mai Chan of the Yale School of Medicine, Jackie Font Guzman, the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion here at EMU, Jennifer Klein, Assistant Professor in the Graduate Counseling Program, Ashley Escoa, an EMU sophomore, Cindy Boyer, an EMU senior, and Marianne Zare, the graduate writing coach and an instructor in college writing. I have a few brief remarks, and then we'll hear from Shin Mai Chan, and Jackie Font Guzman will handle questions for Ms. Chan and facilitate a panel discussion. So in 1970, the Board of Trustees authorized portraits of the first five Eastern Mennonite College presidents to be placed in the new library when it opened in 1971. The room where the portraits were hung was not intended to be used as a classroom, but it began to be used in that way in 1983. I don't think anyone really considered the effects that these portraits might have on the students. When I came to EMU in 2015, I noticed that these portraits, as you can see, they faced the front of the room and they could be quite intimidating to any student making a presentation. And I heard from faculty members who taught in this room that the portraits created discomfort for a lot of students and even a few instructors admitted that they found them unnerving. One of my colleagues in the library referred to them as, next slide, the stern men. Well, the situation wasn't that great for the portraits either. They were, as you'll see on the next slide, crammed together on one wall. They were sub subject to jostling by student backpacks and indirect sunlight. If you look at the one, the, not the farthest one on the right, but the next one over uh, Richard Detweiler's photo, you can see that the sunlight had faded that picture quite badly. So while it is important to remember our EMU history and to recognize that the work that these presidents have done, it was time to get them out of that classroom. The pictures, thanks to a diversity, equity, and inclusion mini grant, are now hanging on another wall on the third floor in the library, but they are not in a classroom anymore. I knew from my experience in a majority black church in Chicago how important diverse visual representation was for black, indigenous, and people of color communities. But I hadn't, what I hadn't thought so much about was how important it was for me as a white person to see non-white folks represented in institutional visual culture. Diverse representation sends the message that all belong. Diverse representation of powerful people, like university presidents, says that all people can be qualified, able, and gifted to do this important work. 
EMU's presidential white dude wall is not unique. Other institutions have wrestled with the messages that these groups of portraits send. The Yale School of Medicine has produced two journal articles describing their research that they did around their institutional portraiture. One in 2019, next slide, and one that came out this year, next slide. We are honored to, with us, to have with us via Zoom, Shinmai Chan, who is a male, yes, sorry, a Yale, Yale medical, there we go, a Yale medical student and one of the authors of this second uh, article from 2022. So, so thank, thank you, you Shinmai, for, for being with, with us, us today. today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and for the introduction, I'm just trying to set up my Zoom here. Okay. Um, so my name is Shin May, and I'm a fourth year medical student here at Yale School of Medicine. Um, the title of this brief talk is The Evolution of Physical Spaces, Institutional Portraiture, and Medical Students. Um, while I'm presenting our work today, I want to acknowledge the other authors on this study as well, especially our first author, Chigaziri Konkwo, who's one of my uh, medical school colleagues. Dr. Fitzouza, Maz Muhammad, Dr. Anderson, and RPI, Dr. Eisman. We have no disclosures. So before the COVID-19 pandemic, every medical student at Yale regularly passed through the lobby and second floor hallways of Sterling Hall Medical Center um, in order to attend classes, use the library, go to meetings, and attend special talks and lectures. Um, above is a picture of Sterling Medical Library, which is where the majority of the medical school activities go on, um, albeit on a sunnier day. And then um, the picture below it is one of the many libraries within that building. So this is the rotunda in the middle of the library on the second floor. Um, we'll take a closer look at these portraits in a little bit, but this is kind of um, to set you up the, the gist of what you see when you walk into this building. So if you go down the hallways past the rotunda, there are these portraits that you would come across lining various admin offices and medical school conference rooms that were regularly used by students and um, teachers and admin and what have you. Um, I'll flip through some of these now. You, you will probably kind of get the sense of where I'm going with this. So here's a pair of portraits that you might see a little further down. This is what you might see maybe to your right. This is what you would see and so forth. So in total, um, there are 52 portraits of white men lining the halls at uh, Yale School of Medicine. There are three portraits of women, although all white. And the interesting thing is um, several years before all of this started to kind of gain momentum, um, a grad student had gone through the portraits to try to identify who these people were that we were showcasing in um, our hallways at Yale. And it turned out that a lot of them actually were unknown people um, that had just had their portraits um, either donated by family or um, kind of given to the school and we just kind of hung them up and immortalized them on the wall without really knowing who they were. Um, so in 2018, uh, Dr. Fitzouza, who was then a medical student at Yale, wrote this paper um, uh, that Marcy had uh, alluded to in the Journal of uh, General Internal Medicine. Um, importantly, she identified four important themes. 
Um, so first, the students' perception of the institutional portraits were a visual affirmation of Yale's institutional values, such as whiteness or maleness or elitism. Second, students kind of expressed this resignation to the status quo um, of what these portraits mean or meant um, and had developed these coping mechanisms that she had picked up when she was interviewing students, such as humor or avoidance um, to kind of deal with the lack of diversity in these portraits. Third, um, the students had also alluded to contemporary consequences of such uh, homogeneously white portraiture, such as underscoring the lack of sense of belonging for uh, students that be belong to minority groups or the feeling that having um, these portraits of white men who may have endorsed slavery or opposed um, the admission of women into the medical school kind of implied that Yale School of Medicine had also implicitly endorsed these positions by hanging up these very public uh, portraits. And then fourth, the students had also talked about the erasure of history from varied points of view. Um, so some students felt that removing the portraits would erase important aspects of uh, Yale School of Medicine's history, whereas others felt that having the portraits erased um, kind of the significance of others, um, other demographics in the school, such as women or uh, minority students. This was a quote that guided the work over the next couple of years to revamp this space. Um, it's by Carolyn Knowles, who writes on race and ethnicity, especially post-colonialism, uh, whiteness and urbanism. She says, space is an active archive of the social processes and social relationships composing racial orders. It interacts with people and their activities as an ongoing set of possibilities in which race is fabricated. So this kind of set us up for 2018 to 2019 and the changes that came along with that. Um, perhaps the most important was the establishment of the YSM program for art in public spaces or PAPS, which was basically a committee uh, composed of faculty, admin, um, and some students um, from all the different schools that came together and kind of discussed what it meant to have this public space and what should fill the public space. Um, there was also the curation of Aperture 1 and 2, which were um, a series of portraits featuring a female uh, Women in Medicine at Yale, and followed by the curation of Self-Reflection, which um, featured uh, students from Yale, particularly minority students. And then there was also the commissioning of the oil painting of Dr. Beatrix Hamburg, um, who was the first uh, African-American woman to attend Yale and went on to become a very renowned uh, psychiatrist. So evidently this was much, it was part of a bigger movement across the nation at other medical schools as well. Um, the lecture hall at Harvard was one of the more publicized spaces, I think featured on NPR that saw the removal of many um, white dudes on its walls. And so this uh, conference room no longer looks like this. And then beyond the walls of medical schools, um, as we all know, 2019 and 2020 saw a lot of big um, social like uh, events as well. So as we know, the COVID-19 pandemic had begun and this greatly changed how students interacted with their physical spaces. Um, so at Yale, for example, a lot of our classes were in person uh, within these walls that students would see day in and day out. And suddenly all of a sudden, um, nobody was using the library anymore. We were all kind of confined to our homes as we zoomed into our classes. Um, along the same time, the Black Lives Matter movement really picked up, um, especially in 2020, following the murder of Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And I remember this kind of being a very uh, critical part um, amidst the pandemic 
um, that summer. So this updated study um, we conducted to assess how students had perceived the recent changes of the portraits with the new portrait series and um, in light of current events. Um, and so these took place also as uh, semi-structured interviews over Zoom. Uh, and we used an email listserv to kind of just gain interest. Um, there was no targeted recruiting to limit sample bias. We had these interview questions that were developed through uh, brainstorming between the authors and um, had adapted it to relevant themes um, through literature searches and previous guides. And then we uh, transcribed and analyzed these interviews for thematic saturation, which was achieved after nine interviews. So from this, there were several themes that emerged. Um, the first theme was that students highly regarded art as a representation of institutional values similar to um, in 2018 and 2019. So this was a uh, quote from one of our students that said, we went to the history museum where we saw the picture of the old white man with the slave and they finally revealed to us like he actually was the founder of Yale. I felt very detached and this person obviously wouldn't have been very happy with me being in this place that he founded or like anywhere near it that wasn't in a position that was like custodial. And so this uh, was from a student that identified as black um, and it was harking back to at the beginning of our medical school kind of for orientation, they bring us to the British Art Museum, which is on campus. And um, we practice like analyzing pictures. And one of the pictures that we analyze is that of um, uh, the founder of Yale, um, who at the time was known to, to be a very prominent uh, slaveholder. Second, there was sentiment that the actions of uh, YSN embodied by recent changes in portraiture among other institutional actions were felt to be sometimes largely performative. Um, so this was a quote from a student that said, I think YSN does a good job of keeping people appeased in both ways, right? The people who don't actually want them to become a more inclusive and diverse place they appease by doing nothing. The people who actually, the minorities and their allies, the URMs here and their allies who actually want change here, they're not satisfied with the way YSM is, but they appease them, or if not appease, at least keep them at a level where they're not going to like publicize all of YSM's feelings by showing them the task forces and promising things that will never actually occur, or not giving them the knowledge that they actually need. Another thing that prevailed was the sense that students sought a created belonging at YSM if they didn't feel like it was created for them. Um, so one student um, who I believe identified as first gen um, position, like I think my sense of belonging comes from like the friends that I've made here and the communities that I've formed because it's within those people that I see myself. But for me, I don't think uh, my belonging is tied to like the institution. And then lastly, although mixed on several levels, some students surveyed um, echoed reception to the change. Um, so despite this kind of skepticism in light of current events, the changes that they did see with the portraits, um, the new portraits were welcomed and appreciated. So one student said, I think when I noticed that it was a sense of like, oh good, they actually listened and they actually did what the students wanted them to, which was a bit of a relief because we all know that sometimes that doesn't happen. So all of this kind of brings upon this question of what is the message of racial hierarchy um, embodied within these portraits and how do minority individuals interact with racialized landscapes? Do they use uh, avoidance? Do they use anger? Um, how do they process these feelings of powerlessness and um, what kind of coping mechanisms students use? 
And so while disturbing, um, it is still empowering to notice kind of this newfound appreciation in the more recent years with positive reception to changes and um, a more, um, more willingness to change. And um, it's evident that this, this uh, study was very timely because interestingly in parallel, there was a larger movement at the time to remove public pieces that represented values reflective of slavery and racism so the Monuments Project, for example, is a Mellon project consisting of uh, $250 million to reimagine public spaces to be more inclusive. Um, there was also this highly publicized removal of the Robert E. Lee statue, um, and then also the uh, Jefferson Davis statue on the bottom. So the takeaways from this um, study and kind of what to think about moving forward is that institutional portraitures have tangible effects on medical students and students in general um, and their sense of belonging. Um, regardless, there is still hope for steps towards a diverse and anti-racist student body and faculty. And then there is this um, need to reject complacency and continuously re-examine the physical space in which learning takes place, which it seems like at EMU, you guys have been doing a very good job on. So that is the end of that. And I'm happy to take questions. Thank you. Thank you so much for such a wonderful presentation and sharing your experiences um, with us. I'm sure um, it's going to help us move into our future of belonging and inclusivity as well here at EMU. So thank you so much. Um, we do have time for one or two questions. Is there anyone? in the audience that may want to have a question before we move on to our next part here. Well, I'll, I'll ask a question. Um, did, did you, um, you focus a lot about the belongingness and what it meant for the university. I'm curious if you had um, people outside of the university in the community, um, donors, alumni, board of trustees, like people that are connected but are not like inside fully, that are not students. Um, did you get any reactions um, from, from those groups as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it actually was a big point that the reviewers had brought up when we were um, submitting the second paper, um, especially how faculty and other like ancillary staff, for example, who work like um, outside of medicine in the school, we didn't directly survey them, but I imagine, um, <laughs> I imagine they would also have some things to say. Um, and I think if we were to do this study in a couple of years as well, that would be um, a large portion of the people we would study next. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for your time. Um, please feel free to um, stay connected and, and, and listen to our panelists. Um, we're going to be um, moving now to the second part. I'm going to ask our, our panelists if they can please come up and sit here up front um, as I... Um, talk a little bit about and set up the stage. Um, we here at EMU, as you know, have been really striving to make the campus more belong, more of a welcoming and belonging campus so that you students, faculty, staff, everyone who comes to visit from outside actually feels like they're not only welcome, but that they belong, that this is their space, that they're not being invited into a space. 
And as part of that, we've been working with um, putting out inclusivity grants, and um, this is the result of one of those grants. Um, and it was a response to our students and faculty and staff about their feelings when they were entering this classroom um, where that had all the presidential um, photos in it. So we're going to now hear from two students um, and two EMU faculty members about what was their experiences and what does this mean to them, the fact that the portraits were there, and then also what, what does it mean now that, that they're not there. And um, I'm gonna invite, um, please, Cindy, um, and Ashley and Jennifer and Marianne, if you can please come up and then we'll just have a, a conversation. Well, first of all, thank you for um, accepting to be here today. I really appreciate it. And what we're gonna do is I have one question for each of the, of the panelist members, of our colleagues here. And um, we will, they will each ask, answer a question. And then I'm gonna ask you to please, each of you just introduce yourself before answering the question, who you are, what is your role in EMU. Um, and I'm gonna start with you, Jennifer, because I know you've done some um, fascinating and interesting work on this for a long time. Um, and so my question is, can you share some of your results regarding the campus art audit you did at EMU um, some time ago? Yes. <laughs> um, I'm Jennifer Klein. I am an associate professor in the Masters of Arts and Counseling program. And in that program, I teach a course on how to help counselors be culturally competent in their approach to therapy. And so part of that class has an advocacy assignment. And I had a group of students in the fall of 2019 um, decide to do a basically an artifact search. And so there was a piece out of their textbook um, that I'll share with you. This is out of David Newman's textbook. Um, and he says, because we live in a society that is built on acquisition and consumption, components of identity are frequently reflected in the commercial objects of our physical environment. We tend to live, leave a visible trail of who we are for others to notice. Messages about identity pervade everyday public space as well. If you look closely enough, you will notice that we are surrounded by visual objects of gender, racial, ethnic, class, and sexual identity, even in objects that are designed to symbolize other things. And so a group of five students decided that they would look at the institution and look at the everyday objects um, that they could find here at the university that represented identity. Um, and so they took photographs, they went around campus and they took photographs. And my guess is that their findings won't be surprising. Um, they found mostly 
uh, representations of men, um, specifically white men, but men both in art, photos, portraits, um, artwork, men's names on buildings with the exception of the library, white people, also photos, portraits, artwork, but also in the faculty, staff, and administration. English as the standard language, looking for places where you could find things written in something other than English. They found the Peace Pole. Um, lots of representation of cisgender experience, bathrooms, locker rooms, sports, and then also uh, symbolic symbols of um, spirituality, but primarily Christian spirituality. Um, and so for them, their feedback to the university was, if you share identities that are represented in these objects on campus, you might feel a strong sense of connection and belonging here. But if you have identities other than these represented, then what does that do for your felt sense of belongingness and your felt sense of safety on campus? Um, I will say that this project then resulted in at least um, sort of two takeaways for our students. Um, the students did work to get gender-neutral bathrooms um, in the Discipleship Center and continue to work toward um, having more gender-neutral bathrooms on campus. Um, and it was also part of the impetus for getting the Black Lives Matter mural on campus. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, so I'm going to go next to um, Cindy. And Cindy is uh, quite a powerhouse here as a student. Um, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself and then ask, um, why do you think like visual representation is so important to you? Or if you want to share some of your experiences with what has been said already, feel free to do that. Um, hi, I'm Cindy. I'm a senior at EMU, obviously, and I am a neurobiology major who is a pre-PA pre hopeful. Um, I have been a part of a lot of, like, um, I'm a president of the Asian Pacific Islander Student Association Club and a senator, so if you have any problems, come talk to me. But also, um, I... Visual representation is tough for me because as a diverse member of this student body, whenever I see like visual representation of white men, it's kind of like, ick. Like, uh, I kind of expected that. But my problems is more of the visual representation that there's a danger of going against the actual student demographic. Like, not representing what's actually present. And so it has gone to the point where it's kind of been ruined for me when I see like a diverse picture or marketing photos of a diverse group, I'm like, instead of celebrating, I'm kind of like, yep, like there we are. It kind of feels like if I walk down a sidewalk, someone's gonna pop out of the bush and just take a picture out of me out of nowhere. Like it's happened before, like we're just walking down and some, we like just in the corner of our eye, we see a cameraman <laughs> we're like, next brochure, let's go. And I'm not like asking to be taken down from these photos, but the admissions room has 
three photos, and all of them are diverse students, which is not representative of this student body, as well as I don't see any marketing photos representing anything else other than diversity. So it's like white people or diverse people, but there's no, there's no other diversity represented in these photos. Like there's no religious diversity or um, like even just crazy hair colors or crazy fashion styles that come up. Like it's all very confined, targeted marketing. And all universities are doing this across the nation. Like there's just, videos and papers, just how students react to seeing on a university webpage, like there's the classic diverse students around a cafeteria table, like that sort of stuff is necessary and I like to see the representation, but at the same time there's quite a, a line that people, that, that marketing universities um, toe, toe, like they, they walk past it a lot. So I guess um, visual representation matters to me because it's important to really show what you represent as a campus, um, but then there's also just that line that it can be easily abused. Thank you so much. Um, I think you clearly articulated the, that line between being performative and actually living into the vision and the aspirations of what we really want to do. So thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to go now to Marianne. Um, again, I'm going to let her um, introduce herself, but she's also been, um, when I started working here at EMU, um, quite a, she was one of those who also immediately approached me, just like Jennifer, having conversations about, you know, all those things need to be changed. There's some things that are not just working, and I really appreciated that, and so thanks so much for being here today. Um, and so my question to you is, you, you've had students write essays about some of our visual representations on campus, some of them have already been mentioned, like Black Lives Matter. Um, can, you, can you share some of the wisdom that your students have um, raised at those assignments that you are um, having them do in these essays? And maybe a little bit of your experience with that as you read it. Um, hello, I'm Marianne Zare. I teach uh, college writing at EMU. Um, and I did teach in that uh, library room with the stern men in the back um, and one of them isn't as stern as he looks because I actually knew him personally <laughs> but um, when I first walked into the room I was a public high school teacher and high school teachers we like prepare our rooms you know we put up we try to put books in our classroom that students can connect with we put up nice bulletin boards and I just walked in and I was like you know this isn't really the best match for my students who are young and diverse um, so I have an art, I, I wasn't quite sure how to address this, so I, I have an art assignment uh, that I um, was developed by the uh, Vi Dutcher uh, that I really like, and I've adapted it a bit. And so what we did when I was giving this assignment, the first thing we did uh, for that assignment, we turned around and looked at those portraits. And I said, like, we used the questions from the assignment. What do you see? What do you feel? Is this work relevant? Is it important? And I mean, it wasn't, it was, some of it was lighthearted, like one of the students like, well, there are the men on the right are smiling more than the men on the left. Um, and uh, someone's like, when I look at these uh, portraits, I feel young. Uh, and then also um, on the importance, some people felt it shows history, it's really important. It shows a difference between EMU's past and the students. So I had the students all put their comments in a Google Doc and we sent it to Jackie and we sent it to Marcy. 
Um, so that's, and, and I actually feel much more comfortable teaching in that room um, now uh, where it's a, it's a blue wall, um, but I feel like it's more inviting. So then I want to say just, so with this art assignment, when I first started with it, I just used one uh, sculpture on campus, and that was the Guns and Plowshares sculpture that's behind the library. I love this sculpture, and Esther Augsburger and her son who made it, they came and talked with my students, we had an interview with her, it's a great sculpture. But I thought, how can I add art to this assignment so students have more options and that some of the artists are more diverse? So um, I added a couple of online art series. One was uh, The Great Migration by Jacob Lawrence, which is in the Phillips Collection in DC. Um, I added another uh, series. It's called El Sueño um, Americano, and it's uh, photographs of uh, objects that were confiscated from people who crossed the US-Mexico border. But then the Black Alliance, uh, Black Student Alliance made the Black Lives Matter mural. So I could add that, and I was happy to add it, not only because I support the message of the mural, but because that gave me other art to include and expand my curriculum. So I've had, in three semesters, 14 students choose to write about that mural. And I just want to say, I really didn't understand how students appreciate it on a deep level until I read their essays. And 14 students, um, some who identify as African American, some are who are black immigrants from countries such as Ethiopia. Um, one student who identified himself in the essay as brown Asian, two white students. One of the white students is from a minority religion, not Christian, and was from a minority religion also in high school. So he said he could identify with prejudice. Um, so I, I was flying with the emails yesterday with one of my students who agreed to uh, have me share an excerpt from her essay. So I would like to end with that, what she wrote in her essay about Black Lives Matter. And I, and I just want to say to the students, um, Many of the students said it made them feel more welcome on campus, it made them feel safe, um, and also some of them responded to the Black Lives Matter movement and what that meant to them. So I'm going to read, thank you, Trinity Washington, for sharing your excerpt, and I'm going to read that to close out here what I'm saying. To me, this mural represents heart, community, and representation. It represents heart because I know the staff at EMU are not disincluding me because of the color of my skin. It represents community because of the way it's brought all different types of people together. This mural has brought awareness to students and created a welcoming environment for all people. It represents representation in itself because I feel that my black skin is being positively represented here on campus. Thank you, Marianne. That's some powerful um, words there, and thanks for your doing with your with our students. Um, so I'm 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 curious. Is there anyone who has any questions from the audience, or anything that has triggered any information you may want to share, or any questions that have surfaced? Hello. I think one more point I wanted to mention Please. was just that. When I walk by, like I had a class in those portraits, or in, in that room when those portraits were up, and for me it was like, it was normal, it wasn't anything. But if those portraits were of diverse characters, I would stop. And I would hope that there would be like something that I could read. I would be impressed and shocked and like 
when it's just photos of white men, I just walk past it, it's normal, you know? Like, that's just been what we grew up with for so long. But if there were diverse characters on the wall, I would, I would definitely stop and be shocked. Like, I would really think that would be very important to have up. Yeah, thank you for that, right? And that's a lot of the work we're trying to do, is to start creating a new normalcy. Where, where it's not just one particular group of people or one gender or one religious background or one skin color or one, I mean, I, I love how you were saying before, even like different hair colors, like being broader about what are we talking about when we're really talking about diversity and feeling like we belong. Um, I, I do want to maybe share a little bit that a lot of this work, when people come to me and they're asking and saying, what, you know, how are we going to do DI? What is it? How do we advance it? And, and I think this work and what Marcy and the panelists that are here have, have evidence is that, that we need to do it all together. Um, that it's really, it's really, it happens when we exercise, when we see something that is wrong or uncomfortable or we don't like it and we have the courage to speak up, which sometimes it's, it's easier, sometimes it's not so easy, sometimes it's harder, but finding at least that one person or someone or area or faculty or me or someone else and then start just it all starts really with a conversation um, as, as simple as that may sound and those conversations take us to finding other allies and other people that are willing to support us in making the change that we want to see happen so we, we do have a lot of we still have a lot ways to go um, to make this an inclusive campus, but I think pretty soon you'll be able to add another piece of art to your um, assignment because um, a group of students from um, EMU actually applied for a DEI grant last time, last, last semester, and they're actually putting up a, a mural on the Science Suitor Center, which is slowly but steadily coming along, which the idea is to add kind of what you just described, which is representation of scientists um, that are not necessarily white males, but um, including representation from all type of groups and religions. So um, again, it's, it's, it's little by little, and we need a lot more of that. So that's just a plug for me to let you know, if you have an idea, um, come talk to me or email me. Um, is there anything else you might want to share about some of those experiences? I'm, I'm curious about, I'm actually curious about um, the the impact, I mean, you mentioned a little bit, Marianne, about how teaching in that class was hard sometimes. And, and I'm just curious from the faculty perspective, because I think we sometimes assume that, well, faculty are just part of the institution and they come in and, and they show up and they teach and, and they leave, but we're humans and you, there, there's obviously things that were going on as you were stepping into that classroom. and. Um, well, I just felt that we should, I should just not pretend that those portraits weren't there. And I wasn't quite how to address it. I wasn't quite sure how to address it. And I also didn't, I didn't tell the students my view that I didn't think it was the best match until they, after they had written all those comments and told me what they see, what they think. And like, you know, some definitely said they should stay in the room. Some said they should move somewhere where more people can see them. Um, it was really all over the map, but yeah, it took me a while to think of how to address it. So, and, and I think that's the other, like don't feel, I mean, addressing this issue sometimes is hard. Um, I will share that when we moved with this initiative, um, there were some um, 
folks, alumni that graduated many years ago and other folks that felt that we were actually um, doing something very wrong because we were relocating those photos and we were trying to erase history. Um, and, and I think that th the challenge is that by not moving them, we're also erasing history, right? We're erasing the history of, of, of African-Americans, of Latinx, of Asians, of queer people, of so many individuals that have also made contributions at EMU and that are continue to do so. And so is that balance of, yes, we, we want to be diverse, we want to be inclusive, but it is a new, it's a new normalizing, right, to kind of follow up with your work, because I think our students are feeling it. They're, they're feeling it's hard to learn when you're in a space that doesn't feel like it's your own. Um, so I am going to let maybe each of you say if there's one last thing that you want to share as we wrap up, and um, don't leave, because there's still a few more things we're going to do. But is there anything, Cindy, that comes up to mind? As you look to the future at EMU, um, and what you would like to see in terms of visualization, what comes to mind? Like, what would be your, what's our big hope here on Dream? I think the mural is a good start. I've actually like talked to one of the people who are working on it, and apparently there's going to be like QR codes where you can search it up and look for those people. That's really a great start. Um, I personally don't think that. Um, I don't really feel much connection to portraits being hanged up at all. But if they are, I think having them be diverse people or prominent figures. Um, would be really helpful for the future. But I also don't believe that it should all be, like there should be no white men there. Like it can't be completely erased. That would be the opposite of what I was discussing with the, the, the borders of marketing with the, the diverse students. Thank you. I wanna see more of my students writing for the weather vane. I keep saying, <laughs> get your article published so people can read it. So um, if you're one of my students, please get your voice out there on campus. I, I think I am just struck by the piece actually from the presenter around that the things that we choose to surround ourselves with do then become representations of our values. And so I think it's just so important that we think about these things in context. And so being able to say, well, that's our history. It is, it's not the entirety of history. Um, and if we are actually valuing the entirety of history, then that's not an accurate representation. Thank so. you. And I want to see more of you apply for this Inclusive Excellence Grants. Um, I want to see all of you just bringing those ideas and dreams that you have and hopes um, and remind you that it truly does start with a conversation and, and that we can do this together. And before we wrap up, I'm going to, um, Micah, I think you have some announcements. Can you please? Yeah, so don't leave. Don't go anywhere. On. There we go. Thank you, Jackie, and everyone else um, for the panel. And yeah, before we go, um, talk about a few campus announcements. Um, today at 4 p.m., uh, there is a university colloquium in um, the Souter Science Center as well as a men's soccer game on the turf. 
Um, 7 p.m. is the Rowdy Royals game for field hockey on the turf as well. Tomorrow at 8.30, um, badminton club in the gym. Go there, have lots of fun playing badminton. Friday at 7 p.m. is the LSA banquet. Uh, tickets are $5 for students, and make sure to get those beforehand. Um, but that will be a very good time. That's in Campus Center. Uh, and Saturday, 8 p.m., spooky putt-putt in the Campus Center as well. Um, and be sure to check the calendar for other events that are happening. And have a good rest of your day.